Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. Countries that do well in any aspect of, say, standard of living, have gender equity at the forefront. It has been demonstrated throughout history that those countries that do really well in all the, the markers that matter have great gender equity, so women are valued and empowered. So this program will contribute to that in a really meaningful way, using basketball as the vehicle. Every once in a while, we get a chance to look at a truly groundbreaking initiative. As a dad to two daughters, it's great to hear about the innovative Daughters and Dads Empowerment Program designed by Aussie professor Philip Morgan from the University of Newcastle. Phil tells us about the innovative program he's developed and fine-tuned for basketball as part of his groundbreaking research over many years with a multidisciplinary focus that's been recognised with awards nationally and internationally. This program is so impactful that as we speak, it's being replicated somewhere around the world. Quite simply, it's empowering our girls through the wonder of basketball and alongside that, it's connecting dads to their daughters and generating a groundswell of gender equity advocates that dads are embracing. It's powerful stuff and the testimonials speak for themselves. New South Wales have some programs starting this term at various locations. For more information to join or train as a facilitator, we've included contact details in the podcast notes. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin today, it's Phil Morgan, Professor Phil Morgan from the University of Newcastle, who's also the lead developer of the Dads and Daughters Active and Empowered program, which includes Dads and Daughters Basketball. Phil, welcome to the show. It's great to see you again. Hi, Paul and Jacinta. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. I mean, this one's one where I think we're going to have some interesting discussions, I'd say, because absolutely, there's some interesting stuff that we're going to get into. Look, let's just start off with, if you give us and, and the listening audience an overview of what the program's all about. Yeah, sure. So there's, I guess, the Daughters and Dads Active and Empowered Program, which is our broader and the original program. And then there are these sports-specific variants that have been developed, Daughters and Dads Basketball, which is one of those. So I can tell you a little bit about the Daughters and Dads Active and Empowered program, and that might help you understand how we got to Daughters and Dads Basketball and why, as well, we have just a huge number of sports. We have a huge number of organisations from around the world who are interested in doing adaptations of the Daughters and Dads program. So... I think it'd be interesting to get into what is it, but why did we need this program and what purpose is it serving? Okay, so fill us in because I'm also curious how you started off with this as well. 
Yeah, well, I've been a researcher and academic at the University of Newcastle and lectured in sports coaching and delivering teacher education courses to physical education um, student teachers and primary school student teachers, but I had a special interest in promoting physical activity in children and in particular developing targeted programs in schools and the community. And that led me focused in and around the family as such an important target area to promote physical activity in children. I've always really interesting in that sort of few years of research that out of all the family programs that have been done, they're largely only being participated in by mothers. And so there just had been no research really looking at, well, how do we get fathers or father figures involved? And so whenever I use the term fathers or dads in this podcast, it's any male role model in a child's life, could be biological father, stepfather, grandfather, uncle, brothers, etc. And so this was a particular issue. And there also was a huge gender gap in physical activity levels. So at all ages, girls are less active than boys. And when you look at statistics around physical activity recommendations, about 90% of girls don't meet physical activity recommendations. When you look at sports skill proficiency, ability to bounce and kick and throw and strike and catch, there's a huge difference. And most girls leave primary school not having developed mastery in those skills. And they're a real precursor to involvement in a whole range of sports. If you can't bounce, well, you play basketball. If you can't couch, well, you play cricket. So as a result of those issues in families that girls were inactive and dads weren't engaged um, and girls had just been marginalised in physical activity uh, context at home, school, and the community, um, there was a real need to innovate. And so many programs had failed to improve girls' physical activity, hadn't been effective, and they'd been criticised for not addressing gender. So this is where this idea of, hmm, what about engaging fathers, putting those two areas of research together, because there'd been heaps of, like thousands of studies have shown that positive father involvement in a child's life impacted on a whole range of social, emotional, educational outcomes. So what was really interesting was that when you looked at father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter, they're all significant, but in particular, the strongest associations were for father-daughter. But the nature of the research design um, wasn't as strong as it could be. There just hadn't been as much research. So we were keen to firstly just start with answering that scientific question. What would happen if we brought fathers in their daughters into their daughter's life using sport and physical activity as the engagement mechanism? So that was the first question we asked. We developed the Daughters and Dads Active and Empowered program. Um, and it's just been a fascinating journey from initially answering that research question to winning national and international awards for benefiting society, for impacting on well-being, and seeing the profound impact we had on girls' sports skills, social emotional well-being, and the quality of the father-daughter relationship. So that was the background to the program which addressed a research question that all of a sudden people were really interested in where that could go. And just out of interest, you mentioned that previous uh, studies when you did your literature review found that, you know, uh, participation rates for girls in sports were dropping or, you know, they weren't finding um, a real kind of concrete way of helping uh, young females stay engaged in sport. Was there any um, indication in the literature as to why girls weren't staying engaged? It's a really good question. And there was a seminal paper written um, a couple of years after we started the Daughters and Dads, which they found that one of the biggest criticisms of attempts to improve girls' physical activity, participation and involvement in sports was that they didn't address gender. So what that actually means was we'd say, go girls, be strong, get out there, here's a pedometer, track your steps, and 
we'd basically send them out into hostile territory without preparing them for the consequences they would face as girls. So there's a whole range of gender biases and stereotypes um, where if you were not both resilient, persistent, but also had the critical thinking skills to know how to address that, then you were really setting them up to fail. So that was the, the missing piece of the puzzle that we can't just say to girls, go and do it to try and motivate them without giving them the psychological resources to face the world of inequity that is out there. And that was a really important aspect of the program. One of the reasons that fathers, and again, there had never been a program for daughters and dads in any field. So again, as a world first to see what would happen and what we hypothesised was we're going to capitalise on this activation relationship. And so by that, I mean that fathers tend to bond with their children primarily through physical play that's characterised by rough and tumble and stimulating competitive and skill modelling and risk-taking, all those sorts of features, which is actually really good for kids. There's fitness development, skill development, um, and this form of bonding that's really important. So they have dads are more likely to initiate, enjoy and sustain co-activity, to model skills because they weren't marginalised like mothers were when they were younger, so they really missed out. And this really important aspect of rough and tumble play. But, and there's a really important concern here, is that from age one, the activation relationship gap widens between fathers' interactions with sons and daughters. And so this has been consistently shown. Many dads of girls struggle to motivate them to do things together. And two final figures is that in an Australian study, they showed that 70% of Australian dads didn't think they had a unique and independent influence on their daughter's life. And only of all the parenting programs that have been done across the world, we did a review, more than 13,500 participants. There was only 700 fathers, so only 6% of participants were dads. So there's this gap in how they play with their children, the opportunities they say they struggle. So there needed to be this program to bring them together, help teach them, help their daughter develop those psychological resources together, develop her skills and confidence. And we're just lucky on the back of that evidence that the New South Wales government through the Office of Sport and the Her Sport, Her Way strategy funded us for four years to roll this program out. Sounds like you had to pull evidence from a lot of different sources. Now, as Paul previously mentioned, you're Professor and Deputy Director of the Centre of Active Living and Learning at UON, University of Newcastle. Um, But to me, some of the stuff you're describing, it sounds like you had to pull evidence from a whole different range of different scopes of practices and resources. So it sounds like a lot of psychology stuff, a lot of gender-based studies stuff. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely spot on. And it's actually a nice little segue to acknowledge the team of investigators that I have that are multidisciplinary as well from the fields of psychology, education, sociology, um, teacher education, because... Um, you know, it's a multifaceted problem requiring a multifaceted solution to to help girls become empowered, but also remembering that, you know, this concept of gender equity, that our our girls are marginalised in sport and physical activity context. No question. We can look at plenty of examples of that, but the marginalised in the parenting are dads. And so we're actually bringing together two groups. There'd never been a program in fatherhood. We did a systematic review of mothers and daughters. Dr. Elise Barnes led this. There's been numerous programs, up to 30 around the world, published on mothers and daughters. And there'd never been anything with daughters and dads. And when I've done interviews before about daughters and dads, I'm almost asked, what about mums? Maybe you guys were going to ask me. But then when we did mothers and daughters interviews, not once have I ever asked, what about dads? Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Really interesting. Because the I suppose 
the traditional gender norms of, you know, relying on mum for everything and then, oh, but, you know, dad's role in the family is this and not typically seen as someone you can rely on to go and talk to, to take me to sport, to, you know, if I fall over, put a Band-Aid on it kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And, and I mean, thankfully, the world has changed. The role of parents has changed. The role of mothers and daughters has changed and also the nature of how we interact. But what we do know is that both sons and daughters thrived with involved and engaged parents. And the dyad of the family unit that has the least well-established literature and is also not as well-connected as the father-daughter dyad. And that's pretty well-established because when you talk about mothers and daughters and fathers and sons, no one really questions that. Even mothers and sons, because traditionally mothers have had a more hands-on role with their children. So then this is the one where people go, oh, why is that? But Back to my second point, children thrive when whatever their family unit is, whatever significant adults are involved, that they're connected in different ways. And if you have a parent, a mother or a father that engages through that activation relationship, which helps them to develop their physical skills and confidence, children do really well. One of the questions I've got, and it's around the terminology of gender equity. Now, quite often we hear people talk about equality, but you're mentioning equity. So for people who may not necessarily have a clear understanding of the difference between the two, can you give us a rundown of your definition of gender equity? Yeah, sure. I mean, simply put, when you look at equality, then everyone just gets the same. Mm. When you're talking about equity, we provide potentially additional support and resources to those who need it the most to get a quality of outcome. And so in this particular instance, and some listeners may have seen, there's a, a classic diagram showing people trying to look over the fence to watch this baseball game, someone who's tall, someone who's middle height, and someone who's quite short. And if you give them all a box, then still the short one couldn't see, but the, the tall person didn't actually need the box. But if we give two boxes to the short person, they can see over and the tall person doesn't need a box. So one's equality and one's equity. So in this particular instance, the Daughters and Dads program kind of represents that double box. We can look at stark contrast in the ability of girls to perform these sports skills in different opportunities, in different ways they're marginalised, whether it's be the way they're dressed um, they provided less encouragement, less independent mobility, less opportunity to play, less active toys, less opportunity to see sports models in action. There's a whole range of reasons whereby they need additional support. For the dads, again, there's no research program in the world that has been targeting fathers and providing opportunities for them to feel connected and involved with their children's lives. So equity for us is actually about seeing those differences as a progressive society who actually do want to provide support to the marginalised. And in the sport and physical activity context, it is girls. In the parenting context, it is fathers. I'm going to kind of jump back a little bit. One of the points on that you mentioned before about women within sport, one of the things that I've seen in a number of studies is that around the age of 15 or thereabouts, participation in sport pretty much falls off a cliff. In your research, have you been able to identify what are the catalysts for that? Yeah. So there has been years of research studying dropout in sport, particularly sharp in the teenage years and a, a precipitous decline for girls. So the reasons for that are actually well established. 
And so clearly we see at that particular age the key influences. So for teenagers in general, summer life's priorities start to change. And so they have more homework, they have more stresses of part-time work, etc. And the peer group takes on increasing influence. But a really important factor to that is this concept of perceived competence. So how good you think you are when you're five and you're playing soccer and you're playing with your friends, how well you think you are in the context of others is not very good. As you get older, you start to be much more aware of how good you are relative to others. And unfortunately, in the context of many PE and school sport experiences, the good tend to dominate. The rich get richer and the poorer get the picture. So for teenage girls with their bodies developing, and in particular, uh, the fear of judgment, the fear of not looking cool, what the social norms are, and, you know, social media plays a role as well in terms of, you know, taking away time, you know, of things they actually do. So there's a whole range of reasons. And, you know, more broadly, quality of coaching is another factor as well. But I mean, there can be poor quality coaching from a whole, from you know, from a very young age. But in particular, the teenage years, where you start to go, I don't have to do this. I've got other better options. So that's a major issue that we're kind of we have faced. So it's not the factors that are mysterious. It's actually what strategies can actually help to overcome these. That's that's more interesting. Now, do you think that the the daughters and dads program will help to mitigate? that you know precipitous drop that you mentioned because of the engagement of of dads in that sporting arena yeah i mean it's a, again a really good question our program has demonstrated um consistently with sustained benefit that we've improved the girls sports skills proficiency greatly so huge improvements in their ability to bounce and catch and kick and strike and throw huge improvements in how good they think they are that perceived competence, and they're much more active. But again, to mitigate some of those issues you face as a teenager, if you're resilient, if you're persistent, if you're brave, if you've got those critical thinking and those psychological resources to see barriers and understand how you can overcome them or see inequities and know that doesn't define and influence you, then clearly you are more likely then to be able to stay in the sport. But what we also need as well, we need a society that is advocates for inequity, and particularly we need more males to be gender equity advocates. So having a supportive family, a dad who sees us and helps you find opportunities because the thing is, how do you know what's the most appropriate division, competition and sport for your teenage daughter? But helping them understand here are some pathways, here are ways to socially connect, this is really important, here are some options for them, but learning the skills in the appropriate way um, when you're younger, you are far more likely to engage in, in sport when you're older. It's those golden years of skill learning they talk about. It's very hard taking up a sport much later in life. If you can learn it when you're younger, then it's then it's there for you to access for the rest of your life. And uh, taking into consideration how you mentioned that, um, you know, needing to prepare young female athletes um, in the early stages with some of those psychological skills in terms of resilience and um, being able to try and fail and understanding that the fear of failure, like trying to dispel some of this fear of failure before they go into a more unknown territory. Was that part of the evidence strongly considered when you were developing a program and did you kind of implement it in like a graded fashion with the Dads and Daughters program where you kind of start small and, and built into something bigger by the end? Yeah, again, um, it's a really good question. I actually, 
at the start when I decided, gee, I really needed to you know, address some of these issues that have been faced in an innovative way and taken a special interest in the role of fathers that could happen that I spent like six months of a study leave just studying everything I, I could read from the research literature to the popular press and just integrating it. And you cannot help but integrate through your own personal lens as well, where, you know, I had I have three daughters myself. I coach lots and lots of teams in multiple sports at representative school level, club level, and have done for a number of years. So utilizing all those particular insights, but clearly coming back to that seminal article, thinking about that it's just not good enough to say, hey, you're skillful and have ability and hope that they would stay connected in sport. So what we wanted to do was to introduce them to these concepts of pinkification and gender glasses. And so gender glasses was this metaphor for critical thinking. But this is quite clearly, if there was any if there was any parents out there that had daughters, I would say my number one recommendation you can do to set them up for life is to teach them to wear gender glasses and daylight second. And this lessons they learn through the program where, you know, firstly, there's this danger of pinkification. It's not the colour pink, but the way our society constantly bombards our girls with pervasive cultural messages about how they look. There's body image is a massive issue in the teenage years. Fear of judgment, fear of worrying how you look, and their physical self-perception is really poor. So we really want to teach girls to focus on their physical function rather than their physical appearance. And, you know, do girls just simply decide to wake up and hate their bodies or do we teach them to? So what are they seeing? What are they being bombarded with? But importantly, for the dads to be gender equity advocates. And so in our programs, there's a dads only session. We're teaching them about connecting with their daughters, but importantly about these concepts and how we can help her. We want the dads to honour their child's unique experience in the world and let them define femininity and masculinity in their own terms. And so let's remove that gender straitjacket that focuses on her looks and being quiet. Let's focus on her unique insights and passions and confidence and beliefs and teach her that a body is an instrument, not an ornament, and that colours are for everyone, careers are for everyone, toys are for everyone, sports are for everyone. And you can call her beautiful, but you can call her brave, and she can be your sweetheart and brave heart. She can be adorable, but be athletic. And teaching the dads and opening their eyes to this new world and seeing the ways in which our society will constantly tell girls that they're only valued for how they look. But importantly, then the dads and daughters come in in session four of the nine-week program and learn together where we give daughters those critical thinking skills. So you will see things and hear things, and you've got to decide, is that true or false or fair or unfair. And so there's a whole range of things that they see. And if they see those inequities, you know, it, it could be something simple. Teacher gives a love heart sticker for the girls and a basketball sticker to the boys. Now, is that fair or unfair? Well, that's probably unfair. I play basketball. Can't I have one? So you can smirk on the inside or you can question it and ask. But there's a whole range of these issues that they see that girls are constantly reporting through our programs the empowered bit of daughters and dads active empowered is these psychological resources. So they've got the critical thinking. They can go to dads, hey, dad, they have two sports teams for girls at the school, but five for the boys. Is that fair or unfair, true or false? Well, it's true. Is that fair or unfair? Well, that sounds a bit unfair. So do you think, what do you think we can do? Maybe you could ask your sports coordinator. So that's a really important thing that we want to do through this program. So it's hard if you just speak to the dads and say, go home and do that with your daughters. By them learning together, that's where you get this synergistic magic effect where they're kind of learning these concepts together and that's the empowerment piece. That little bit that you talked about, you know, more sports team for the boys than there is for the girls, the love heart and the basketball stickers, 
in your feedback and in the sessions that you you have with the daughters and dads, how prevalent is that? It, it is more than you could possibly imagine. So, and when you wear these gender glasses, again, you're not actually wearing glasses, but you have this critical thinking lens um, every week easily, sometimes every day. But the most important thing is the conversation. I had the privilege of just delivering our Doors and Dads program again on a Saturday morning where we give them the gender glass in big fashion. They come back in the next week to report. But we give them examples where they respond to with their dad. You know, Someone says to you, um, isn't basketball a boy's sport? What do you say? You know? Someone says, blue is a colour for boys. Someone says, I need a strong boy to lift the chair. So they're responding to these very real-life situations that occur all the time. And sometimes it's the silences that are deafening. It's what you're not seeing. And so it's a really important aspect of back to giving them the critical thinking skills and remembering as well, our programs fail to help girls unless we empower them, not just to see the inequity, but to know how to act from it, to speak up or smirk on the inside. But to also, if you're six or eight or 10, you're coming to terms with it, you need someone you can chat to, someone who's invested in learning it with you. But then they can also... Um, support you in that way, not to always step in for you because you still want to empower them, but as a really important conversations you'll have for life. So again, we, we've actually you know done not only that, but the because of the impact of the program, our dean at the university has made our daughters and dads training a university course where primary and PE student teachers study the course. So those student teachers then go out as part of their assignment and keep a gender glasses diary. And so this is actually their assignment where they're reporting back and they're kind of a little bit undercover, to be honest, about the different things they're seeing and hearing in the playground, in the classroom. One of the great things from that training and impact is seeing them change the way they think about children's opportunities. And ultimately, all we're saying is someone's opportunities in life should not be defined by their biological sex. And it sounds like um, there's so many examples that we have just become accustomed to living every day. Um, I mean, pink tax is the first one for me that comes to mind. You've got two sets of razors in the supermarket. One is blue and marketed for men. One is pink and marketed for women. But the pink razors for women are more expensive despite being the same product and, and you know, cut, you know two different colours. There's having things that are marketed at women for uh, female appearance, female hygiene, marketed a certain way and uh, taxed a lot more. Um, despite, you know, if men are using something similar, it's doing, doing the same job but marketed differently. So that kind of comes to mind. So I imagine when you're having your implementing your program, you're having, you know, the initial chats with the dads participating in the program, how many light bulb moments they may be having of all these gender inequities uh, that is going on in everyday life that they've just got accustomed to. But it sounds like as well you're providing a really safe space for them to have comfort in knowing that, it's not their fault for not picking up on it and uh, for not realising it earlier but then comfort in the fact knowing they're meeting other men with other experiences and now they get to bond with kind of learning how to flip the switch a little bit. Yeah, you've summarised it really well, Jacinta, and I can tell you've worn gender glasses for a long time and very empowered because you can't help but hear your passion behind that comment. <laughs> but um, firstly, that their eyes are open. It's the most important session of the program. And at the end of it, it's all they talk about. Can we talk about impact of your program, physical activity? Hey, let me tell you about my gender guy. Let me tell you about what I saw. Let me tell you what I heard at the workplace. Let me tell you about this. So that's that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it's a safe place because from a strengths-based approach, we're saying, hey, guys, can you believe this? Um, 
And for the girls, there again could be listeners going, you're not going to tell me a pink razor that's a bit more expensive or a love heart sticker. Come on, that's ridiculous. But you know what it is? It's death by a thousand cuts. It's the sum of the parts, constantly hearing it most days from people that matter in these children's lives. It starts to shape your identity and what you're capable of. So these are actually really important. It's the sum of the parts that matters. Not really any, many, can I have some strong boys to lift these chairs? Come on, anyone can lift those chairs. Is that going to mean we're going to send girls into a crying heap of poor self-esteem? No, but it's just we have moved beyond that in many ways and there's just so many things where we, we can do better. But again, this is not Phil Morgan's theories. This started as theories and ideas. We've now tested this in multiple randomized control trials, published a huge amount of papers looking at the very impact on the girls, on their families, the broader impact on the fathers and their workplaces, and the impact on the teachers and schools. So we're beyond that, which... Again, which is why, and again, maybe this is another good segue, why we now have this partnership with Basketball New South Wales and New South Wales Government to deliver and roll out Daughters and Dads Basketball. Just before we move on to the Daughters and Dads Basketball, I've got one question in relation to what we've just been talking about. Sure. Have there been any examples that you've heard or that you've heard of through the program you know, the, the gender glasses, where you yourself have kind of sat back and gone, wow, that one really threw me. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, I'll just give you one because I know we don't have all day for this podcast. <laughs> but just, it's, it, it, this is just an example and more, you know, a, a bit closer to home with other daughters where they decided with the boys and the girls in year six, and again, this was only a couple of years ago, we're just going to have a, a Friends Day so the girls can do they want the boys. So the boys went into a different classroom and had a debate who would win a fight out of um, Batman and Superman and then went outside and could play capture the flag or um, soccer. Now the girls got to stay inside and write an individual essay quietly on why everyone should dance and then got to paint nails and do each other's hair. Oh. If you're still on your chair. So, so again, I can't oh. make that shit up. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. I'm sorry. That one it just absolutely stuns me. I'm, I'm speechless. Yeah. So, so they're, they're the ones that hit you right between the eyes, but some of the more insidious ones that you hear and see. So it's out there and it's happening and it's real because our girls are reporting back and our dads are. And to address that on a population level, on a policy level, yeah, surely there needs to be teacher education and a whole range of things. But at the moment, we're going to help those who are experiencing it. So the more girls, back to my original point, if there's one thing you want your daughter to have, is gender glasses. So if you have a teacher that does that, you know, just because the boys are allowed to play soccer and we're not, doesn't mean I'm not a soccer player. Hmm. Just because you're doing that. Again, um, back to the, let them define, uh, honour their unique experience in the world. And people say, well, what do you do then if they don't want to do it? Here's a good idea. Hey, children. We're going to have a fun day. What's going to happen is we've got soccer, capture the flag, and um, I don't know about painting the nails. We're going to do class-based activities, and you can choose to write an essay have a debate. Which would you prefer? Play and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of really, really strange hearing that because at younger ages, both genders are playing the same sport. So when I hear that, I'm like, there's, there's such a big disconnect. Yeah, well, if given the opportunity, we, we know as well that girls tend to uh, they have a narrower range of options than boys just through th their parents signing them up. So netball, gymnastics and dance are the big three, and they're more likely to participate in those. It is changing ever so slightly. 
in in some sports, but most sports have huge targets to massively increase female participation as well. And so that's another piece that we are addressing through this program. So we focus on those skills, the ball skills that help them feel more confident in a broader range of sports. And something that perhaps you might not be able to measure or speak to, Phil, is uh, what I'm hoping or what I'm kind of uh, hypothesising myself in my own mind is once the dads and daughters have been through the program, they've had a pretty wealthy experience of having gender glasses and they're able to transfer it back into their regular lives, hopefully then they'll start planting the seed and introducing gender glasses to their other friends and family and help stop perpetuating those classic norms that were are being addressed by such a program. Absolutely. And we've, we've published a paper looking at the broader impact through the father's lens and challenging them, I guess, really to call out things when they see that, even with their mates, even around those traditional typical areas. But again, from a strengths-based approach, it's not like, you know, for many of them, they're like kind of shaking their heads. I can't believe I've used to think like that. Now I have these, I can't unsee it but having, feeling empowered. But you know what? These gender glasses are a blessing and a curse because back to um, Paul's question around, is it still around? Do you see it much? Sometimes, you know, we talk to the dads and daughters, pick your battles. You can't fight everyone uh, all the time. Um, You can't question all the time, but you can smirk on the inside, which is the other thing where you just smirk on the inside is a bit of a, nah, shake your head, bit of empathy for the person saying it, but because with a bit of education, perhaps they don't completely change their point of view, which is, again, what we've seen through the program. Yeah, like the smirk on the inside, you know, recognise it, not disagree, you know, disagree internally and then let it pass. Like you said, you don't have to keep uh, battling and rescuing everyone and, um, you know, stopping everyone from gender inequities and equalities and things like that. Yeah. I should say, but... um, I also feel like sometimes I imagine as well for a lot of the dads going through your program, wanting to make positive changes in other aspects of their life with gender inequity, but probably not having the courage of going back to a very male-dominant workplace and saying, hey, perhaps we should, you know, but change our behaviour this way and instead just change their own behaviour and be a model rather than telling everyone else off. (laughs) Yeah, it, exactly. It, it's a stealth intervention, really, because the men don't sign up to learn about gender equity. If we promoted in that way, they wouldn't sign up. Come along and do this yeah. fun sport skills. <laughs> sport. Uh, it's the biggest bait and switch you've ever seen. And, uh, you know, come along and do this fun sport skills with your daughter and they get in there. And as I said, that's kind of all they talk about. But for really important reasons that, um, you know, w- we need to be seeing these things because we've seen through our research what the impact it has on their lives and how we can make a better society through that, just but just in all areas. I always say in my uh, line of work that my favourite type of therapy to deliver is when the person doesn't realise they're getting therapy. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, wouldn't it be great in a perfect world if these men were motivated because they're motivated for their daughters mm, a lot to yeah. provide a better life and to help them as well. And so there's broader impacts um, through the family and impact in family functioning that we've seen happiness in the family um, because, again, back to the stealth, our traditional program also had aspects of reducing screen time, emotionally connecting. And back to my point, the statistic I said before, 70% of fathers don't think they have a unique and independent influence in their daughter's life. They come along to the program to try and establish a connection. But imagine that profound sense of responsibility and privilege when you're told you matter in your daughter's life, how you interact 
your listening, your connection, you are important. Now, that's a repurposing that's unrivaled, really. The parent-child relationship is so amazing. But there's just one die I had that is least well understood, but also that, oh, you know, there, you know, there's a slide we show in the program. You know, it's a little girl and they're like, oh, can you check again? And there's a dad waiting with all this sports equipment. Oh, what am I going to do with a girl kind of thing? But then they go, you know what? i got a child. Her opportunities are endless and are not defined. So sports is back on the agenda for many, and they admit that in having a girl. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Netball, gymnastics, and dance. Okay, I'll go for a boy. You're trying for a boy, etc. So it's great for those that are the 70% that come in and go, you know what, with a renewed sense of purpose, but also how great's that for the daughter? You mentioned the the daughters and dads basketball with basketball New South Wales and also uh, New South Wales government. Let's talk about that. And I'm curious, what was the catalyst? Why did you start the development of that program? Yeah, so in presenting the findings for our daughters and dads active empowered program at various forums and seminar, it always piques great interest, as you can imagine. It's firstly emotive because everyone's thinking through their personal lens of their own parents good, bad, or otherwise fathers, et cetera, whether they're sisters, whether they're a girl boy. So there's that piece there, but also the evidence for the program led to this $2.4 million grant from the Office of Sport to roll out our active and empowered program. But during that process and presentation, there were just a huge number of sports that had contacted us about wanting to do a sports-specific variant. And that was part of the appeal for the government who were like, wow, this has got there's something in this, despite there being lots of female participation initiatives. And the New South Wales government, um, who we were guided by, were from the Office of Sport. Kerry Turner was one of the main people there. Who the sports that we would develop in order were those where the World Cup was hosted in Australia. So we have daughters and dads cricket. You may remember just before COVID, the World Cup final, the MCG, amazing moment in women's sport. So daughters and dads cricket. We have a partnership with Cricketers New South Wales and Cricket Australia. Then, of course, where I met you guys at the World Cup for yeah. basketball. Yes, what a <laughs> night. What amazing. Three nights in a row. So good. Um, so there's these legacy funds attached to this to do these initiatives. And we have now Daughters and Dads Football because, as you know, coming up in 2023 is the Football World Cup for women in Australia. So that was the order of the sports. But I guess a meeting where I think Kerry Turner and Maria Nordstrom, the CEO of when you said Wales had got together and spoke about it and Maria was like hey this sounds pretty good so you from those legacy funds based on the evidence of the program but also basketball New South Wales were also someone who wanted to a program that targeted participation in an innovative and different way than their current offerings and so that led to this stage where we're like okay well why specifically daughters and dads basketball and what might that look and feel like and so clearly increasing participation, even though you guys are in the basketball bubble. I can feel it through the screen. You've been there, you know, and outside the bubble, there's lots of families where this isn't on the radar. Mm. No, they're not part of the basketball community. There's no, oh, that? there's no such thing as outside the bubble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what a basketball bubble person would say. But, um, hey, I, I feel like I'm in there with you as well, where it's one of those things where you, if you really enjoy watching, you know what's going on. Um, whether you play or not or coach around it, it's, it's an easy sport to fall in love to. That's one thing that we know. But even for basketball, where we, we kind of preach the converted a bit, but 25 to 30% is about the junior participation rate for females. Um, varies by some regions and across Australia, but they have goals to get it to 50%. So here could be one way, but particularly to engage more girls, including the disengaged. 
those that don't have the skill set don't have an interest um, and don't really know how to play. So again, back to that double box, what is a more supportive and safer introduction? If you've got a daughter and you want to throw her into a community program or a team coach by a parent, there is a risk that without an understanding of the rules and without the skill set, without the really great skill of that facilitator, that she may drop out and hate basketball forever. So this was a safer and more supportive bet where dads could really accelerate their skills through the one-on-one environment. Now think of that for a coaching initiative to improve kids' skill proficiency. We're going to get a coach for every kid. Not very cost-effective, but if it's a dad, it can be. But also the physical nature of basketball. We spoke about this previously. It's not a non-contact sport. So doing the physical things, the rough and tumble play with your dads are important, but teaching them how to effectively coach and engage their daughters. But one of the biggest challenges of all community sports and programs is too many kids, too many lines, too much waiting, not enough touches of the ball. Whereas in this program with one-on-one, you can maximize that. And also we integrated evidence-based sports pedagogy. So the Daughters and Dads basketball program would be nine programs, a dads-only session, the alley-oop session, how to engage your daughter in basketball, how to empower your daughter, pinkification, gender glasses, you matter in your daughter's life. And then eight sessions where the dads and daughters come in together, but there's education sessions where they're learning about the game, they're learning the rules, they're learning the skills. We're getting that hook in to develop that affinitive game. They're studying videos of women in action. Okay, what are options here? What are these? Let's look at these defensive plays. So they're just being immersed in the game. So then they are more likely to watch it. Then they're more likely to want to go to the game. And that's where most of our learning occurs through observational learning. So the program was really strongly justified as an innovative approach. It's not in competition to any other community programs, but as a way to really enhance the girls' skills and confidence and understanding the game and to get that hook in. So then they can join you, Jacinta, in the bubble. Yeah, and stay in the bubble too. So I feel like participation is one part And that's what I really like about this program. It's so laid in so many psychological and social and gender issue kind of things, you know, targeting the two marginalised populations in this context of, you know, family dynamics, as you mentioned before, but the retention. So we're getting participation of female athletes. They're forming a more meaningful relationship with their dad, forming a more meaningful then relationship with the sport, and hopefully we'll see more of the retention in the sport as well. Yeah, it's a really good point because, you know, Paul mentioned at the start, do you think this could have an impact on what happens in the teenage years? Well, again, giving them the foundational skills and technique of the sport, accelerating their skills as we've shown in all of our programs because of the one-on-one coaching, but also we have our hoops of empowerment. Our hoops of empowerment are teaching how to be resilient, persistent and brave, but using examples on and off the court as well. And by then we have Confident, skillful, empowered, strong girls going into their teenage years knowing basketball is an option. Because you know what? If you've never played basketball and you get thrown into a game in PE and sport at school, and most may have a background in netball, you're going to get destroyed because there's no three feet in basketball. You're going to get the ball ripped out of your hands, and then you're going to get passable and you'll be stuck there, stuck in the mud because you don't know you can dribble it, etc. So then they go, I hate basketball because I don't understand it. But that's a barrier. Then, you know, back to they're just not going to want to play. So here's a way where you get this nurtured introduction to the game, a safer or more supportive introduction. And the activities are tailored based on your skill level because your dad gets taught how to coach you. And we've put as much work into the pedagogy, which is the science of teaching, because there's so many archaic practices in sport and in basketball with how coaches coach young kids 
that are from a bygone era that we need to make sure we're teaching them optimally, which is what this program does as well. Okay, you got my interest there where you mentioned there's these archaic ways of coaching that you guys have identified. Um, And again, for the listeners, can you give us an example of what you mean when you say that? The research evidence in terms of skill acquisition now, we know that this it's called a perception-action coupling. So basically, game-based approaches where we're learning the skill in the context of a defender and game scenario, not an isolated skill drill. So for example, an applied basketball examples, if we're going to run up and then stop and do isolated pivoting, front pivot, reverse pivot without a ball and run up the court, that's an example of a technique isolated that you would never do in a game. You're never going to run up without the ball and do a reverse pivot, as opposed to a dad there, give the daughter a ball. She's got one pivot foot, 10 seconds to not let dad touch the ball play. That's how you teach pivoting. We don't want to line up for a layup and confuse them with technique instruction and say, your right hand goes up here, you jump from here, etc." We can design a game where the skill emerges from that game and questioning is the primary pedagogy. So these are the things we can really tailor and counter with a father and teach him how to do that, which is practices that should occur in all coaching, game-based approaches, perception, action, coupling. So we're learning the skill. Skillful skill is technique under pressure. Now, so we're understanding when we run up and dad's a defender and he's tall, we're not going to run up to a cone and do a step through. Dad's going to run up and maybe his arms are up or maybe they're down and that will dictate whether you do a floater, a jump shot, a step through, a power layup, a layup, a reverse. We want the girls to understand that those decisions, so being skillful decision makers, now that's skill. And in the messiness and chaos of a game, that's actually what happens. There's no cones on the field. There's no, and we can repeat and get back to skillful execution, but that's part of the magic of the program as well because the dad is someone who is able to turn up the dial up and down on how hard they defend to give the daughter the optimal success. And embedding it in a game is the therapy without them realising they're getting the therapy. It's the skill training without them realising they're getting the skill training. It's just a game. So Exactly. Exactly. We, yeah, it's yeah, I was going to say for me at work, if I've got someone who needs to get better grip strength, uh, you know, a phys- someone might prescribe exercise or for me being an OT, I might go, okay, maybe we can go and uh, roll the ball around to get your hands moving. Maybe we can play Uno to get your pinch grip going. Maybe we can do some activity instead of doing so many different exercises because I'm like, you're not going to want to sit there and do 20 different uh, oh, yeah. so exercises, it, right? Well, how about yeah. we go outside and we'll play something and you won't realise you're getting the same or something similar? It's exactly, it's almost like in my lectures, I constantly say, if you're ever saying to anyone, line up, you're probably doing it wrong. And so this is the concept of a line, but you know, it's like with a layup, you can take a bunch of five-year-olds and say, here we go. Okay. The dad, two meters from the daughter, don't mention layup, don't mention what's happening. Here's a ball on go. You're the cat. They're the dog. You're going to chase and score before dad gets there. And what emerges from that game design of being chased is the layup footwork and finish without saying anything about technical instruction. So we overcomplicate things for our kids. But that's an example of just the embedded pedagogy of the science of skill acquisition that's embedded through the program that we capitalise on the fact that they've got an individual coach. And that's where we see the huge improvements you know, for, for the families in this program. But also then they're watching, they've got a home program where they're going home and operationalise those hoops of empowerment, learning about resilience. But then they might be watching you know, YouTube clips 
of these in action and show three different ways they finished with the left hand. And so the girls are watching, we're getting the hook in, we're getting them interested. So then they start taking interest. And then when they're at the game, then when they're watching it, they prompt them, they want to watch games together. They're enjoying it and learning. And back to the point before about this observational learning as being key. For most people who are really good at sports um, and all the different, even finer points about skillful execution of those technical points, it was through watching skilled performers, older brothers, dads, other family members and friends and on the TV where you truly learnt that. It's interesting because I suppose one of the things you're describing there is that it's almost like we need to just even more generally in basketball with that skills training, maybe the way kids are being taught is actually uh, needs to be rethought, particularly if we're really looking to try and engage the kids in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it requires a complete reboot. So one of the things is the evidence for why this approach is best is not questioned in the research literature. The hardest thing is actually convincing those who have always done it that way or been coached that way that this is the new horizon. They don't realise sometimes that they go, oh, look, these kids are really improving in this particular sport. No, no, no. They're playing with their mates five times a week and coming to you one hour a week. Their dose of improvement is through that free play and exploration and modelling, but you're claiming it through your one-hour session a week. So it's an old practices. But then importantly, they call it that playing form activity. If there is a technical deficiency in, say, left hand, sure, drill it. We can get some repetition in that. But we always start from a point of strength and then we add game to game. So we can you know, use the questioning. And what is key in kids' sport? Enjoyment. What do they always pest you to do? To play the game. So the interesting thing about this is that doing some isolated skill technique is not great, but just playing a game of basketball is not much better in terms of we need a focus around our particular drills that we're actually teaching so we can set up game design and game situations so the skill emerges. And there's heaps of different examples of that that we can embed through the program. But, um, I mean, that could be another topic for another podcast episode there, Paul. We could actually (laughs) talk about examples. Yeah, this whole thing is is really fascinating to me because obviously, you know, I've got a daughter, she's playing, and yes, she's done the skills thing. The good thing is where she was doing skills, they would always play. They would always, you know, there was always play involved. It wasn't just straight drilling. But to me, it sounds like you're talking about a complete rethink of the way basketball skills are taught to kids in a way that's more engaging and also steps back from what everybody believes is the way basketball should be taught. Absolutely. And I'm dying on that hill. With And the hill is made up of research evidence. So it's engagement, but it's also performance. So you want it's, – it's all about problem solving that game context. So we rob children of that opportunity through too much technical instruction. So less is more in terms of coach talk. Um, and let, you know, the, the game becomes a facilitator, but also like a lot of sports, call it Xbox coaching or PlayStation coaching, where coaches are consistently giving instruction about what they need to do. Pass now, shoot, do this, whatever. Instead, you know, the robbing of opportunity for learning, but also their angle from the bench may not be the one that you see. Pass, pass, oh, left-handed finish. Oh, well done. Yeah, good option. Okay, so you may not have had the best angle. So the Xbox coaching and technical instruction is what drive kids away because you're not free. You can't create and explore. And for most kids, what are the percent chance you are going to play professionally in basketball or play at the Olympics or a World Cup? So then even then, 
they wouldn't really want that. But still, for so many kids, we rob them of, you know, back to dropout. You get to a stage where you go, oh, I'm sick of being yelled at. I'm, these drills are boring. Can we make it fun? Can we add question? Can I be involved in the game construction? And kids are really amazing at that. So these are ways we can accelerate the girls and get them up to a point. So then at the end of this program, they can go into any environment and play and contribute because they understand it. And then what's the transference from uh, adopting a training style and model of coaching in that way? What's the transfer of motivation for the players when it comes to game time? So imagine if they're training in a way where it's going to be more fun, more purposeful and engaging. When it comes to game time and it's a two-point ball game, is there a difference in the sense of motivation when you compare those two types of coaching styles? I mean, it's you're motivated by the fact that hopefully that's clustered around you've had multiple problem-solving scenarios and in a game context with whatever's left, you've got more solutions at your kit bag rather than running through too much structure. So particularly from a young age, we don't want too much structure. You know, any set play you may have in any structure, um, what's really important to actually coach is if you could have a play where a wing comes for a dribble handoff and it could be, and then someone's going to set a screen and you're going to drive in. Rather than just saying that, it's it's explaining why, but also, and actually remembering that when you take that dribble handoff, you've got a number of options and it all depends on what these defenders do, what defensive structure they're actually playing. So the more you're actually able to, at training, focus on those variables rather than doing it without defenders because defenders can do the wrong or right thing, can be fit or unfit, and there could be a whole range of factors. So you're just going to maximise the chance of success, but also the ownership of the players. So let me ask the question, have you had this conversation with a coach and what was their initial reaction to you throwing out what is challenging their whole world? Well, yeah, we've, um, Dr. Norelli through our uni is leading a whole program of research on this, this area um, with the master coaching programs. We've published a number of papers in football and in netball and we've got a whole range of other um, we've got some PhD students looking at this particular type of work and we deliver a whole lecture course on these approaches. So so the, the thing about it is there are a few that are absolute purists of the technical skill, but others that do a little bit of this anyway. They do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But, um, you know, I've had some really great conversations with people like, you know, Shannon Seabom, people you'd be familiar with when he was here at Newcastle, and he's a huge advocate and fan of that way. But as he is a bit like me, sort of suggesting it's actually trying to convince others and um, if you actually sit down and have a conversation and see applied examples, there's you can win sort of people over. What's the platform and opportunity to do that? So this is where, with our Daughters and Dads basketball program, we're looking to attract facilitators who then do this day training. Now, the training is beneficial for clearly so you can deliver the program, but for your coaching, for, for your personal life, for any other form of playing and training. So there's lots of pieces there and we've We've done some training at some different associations. It's always very well received because, again, everyone's filtering it through their own lens, thinking about their own opportunities. But we've had some great conversations. So I think the thing is that the, you know, unfortunately, or, or maybe not unfortunately, but many of the coaches of kids' community teams are p- parents or volunteers. And so it's hard to get them kind of, you know, like they do some basic level O or level one type coaching style and trying to get them up to speed. And they're doing their very best. But um, this is something that, at least through this program, we can also help to improve the quality of coaching through potential dads, but also so these girls can be the future coaches and administrators and referees as well. There's that leadership aspect we're looking in the program so we can have that broader impact. And I mean, we've run the program already 
throughout New South Wales in different areas. Obviously, we had a couple of lockdowns and COVID, as you, you guys would be very familiar. Let's not go there. But, um, you know, from that, in each of the programs in each of those areas, um, Rachel Herrick, who's leading up this aspect with Basel New South Wales, has reported in, in all areas we've had girls and have decided to take up a form of the sport, whether it be through some of the Aussie hoops or join a team or create a team. That's another legacy. You do a program, um, that's one daughter and one dad. But what if then they organise for another eight girls to come along from their soccer team or friendship group at school to play a team? So that that's happened in these sports as well. How's that been received? The, the program? Yeah, they're part of the program. Yeah, so so we've run it uh, in Ride and I think City of Sydney, Coffs, Port Macquarie, um, and we have a whole range of programs here. Because the program is so heavily steeped in research, but also systematic reviews. So what that means is rather than just saying, here's one study that showed this, here's one study that showed that game-based approach is important, here's one study that showed this is how you improve fundamental women's skills. The systematic reviews that we've conducted, I mean, you look at every single study that's ever explored those associations, or every single program that's ever explored that 18 months work, hundreds of studies, and then we conclude this, then that weight of evidence. And, you know, the community is really interested, particularly dads, to go, look, there's a really strong evidence base behind this. And if it wasn't, we wouldn't say. So in presenting that weight of evidence, and obviously from the multidisciplinary team here, a partnership with the university, it has that. But in our team of researchers, we're all practitioners as well. Sometimes there's the ivory tower thing, oh, yeah, that's good in theory, never, ever works. But these are things we've done and applied. I've delivered lots of Daughters and Dads program, lots of training, coached lots of team, done all of those kind of things. But then we've now demonstrated its impact. So, again, back to the receiving of the training, the training, is, if it's not the most highly rated, it is right up there in terms of its impact. And and that includes um, those from, you know, very strong basketball backgrounds as well because they're looking for new and innovative approaches but also can – they live and breathe some of the frustrations with whether it be kids' attitudes or particularly around dropout. So again, you know, there's the representative pathways and things where the elite of the juniors are still engaged, but this is a broader we want people we want people to be just connected and willing to play the game for as long as possible, pick up games, recreational, social comps, etc. for their life. And social connection is one of the strongest predictors of mental health. And sport is that vehicle. And so unfortunately for girls and women, they don't have the same background or resources to be able to continue to participate. So semi-controversial question. Uh, So on Instagram uh, last week, I shared a story from Basketball New South Wales' other legacy program, I'm a Girl, and someone, a male who runs an Instagram page that promotes the WNBL responded and, and asked, why isn't there one for boys? which I was happy to answer, but they said, you know, why isn't there one for boys? That's gender equality. There's not enough in netball for boys. And I said, that's right, but um, we're talking about basketball, we're not talking about netball. So how many people, Phil, have approached you and when you've talked about your dad's and daughter's program, how many people have come to you and said, why isn't there one for boys? Yeah, it, it comes up. And also I think, you know, the guy there is, he's saying we want equality. Now, back to my equality equity definition, Equity is when we're providing more support for those who are marginalised. If you look at, for example, proficiency in bouncing, bouncing the ball four times for a station in year six, it's like less than 1% of girls can perform that versus 40% of boys. There's a huge difference in that particular skill, but provided with less opportunity. So those kind of questions about, you know, 
the what about the boys and, and an extreme example it's like there are also some people on social media who say why do the disabled people get why do they get a park right outside the shopping center i don't understand why can't everyone get a you know so it's, it's almost like there are those for obvious reasons who who don't get an opportunity so when you wear gender glasses and see but again Having said that, we can clearly look at um, objective data on participation rates, skill proficiency and physical activity and see that girls are marginalised. But also, you know, what about mothers, as I alluded to, and what about dads? But again, we don't get any dads signing up to the programs unless we have targeted programs, and they're facts, and that's what we've found. So here is a program that's servicing a huge need in the community and having a huge impact. Now, the rationale for other programs, does it does it suggest that any of those other dyads are less important? But boys' pathways into basketball is much easier than girls for the, all those reasons that I've described before. So we have women leadership programs at university, for example, and people will say, what about men leadership programs? So again, we always, in equity terms, are looking to support those who are marginalised and disadvantaged. So it's another hill I'll die on on the back of the importance that this has particularly had. But yeah, give me enough time and I'll have programs for all the diehards, you know, so we can have a father-son because there's a special connection between each. But at the moment, we provide this because we know, for example, when you're doing issues like I'm a girl, I can do anything, we see spikes in engagement and interest from girls that that nothing else um, has contributed. And that's a good thing. So lots of good things need to happen in our world and in basketball. That's one of them. Yeah, and again, this is probably going to get some people offside, but it seems to me that some of the people that are the most vocal about why isn't it equal, why don't the boys get the opportunities that you're providing for girls, don't actually get the fact that they've already got them. Yep. <laughs> and it's it's almost like they're ignoring the fact that they've already got them, and it's like, oh, well, they're not getting equal opportunity because you're not providing it for them, but, you know, the equity is not there to start with. Yeah, exactly. And again, it comes back in terms of equality and equity. It's not about equal because we, for example, like we had in football slash soccer, whatever you want to call it, in football we had programs where girls could always play, but it was like 90% boys playing and girls could just play in boys' teams, and which is fine if you've got really high levels of ability. So those that had good ability survived and said, I don't understand, it was really good. But there were a huge array of those because they've already been marginalised when they're six or seven had missed out on opportunities to develop their skills and be taking the games, et cetera, that all of a sudden they introduced girls-only comps and saw huge increases in girls' participation. And there's people, why don't we have boys-only comps? Well, no, 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 that was the norm. There, it's literally what's going on with the occasional sprinkled girl in some teams in some divisions. But introducing girls only just mean we open the door for those who were less confident and less skilled for all the reasons that I described. And it was a really good thing. So that was that's an example. We see all these other opportunities and programs that aren't inhibiting, but here's a way that this program serves a unique purpose. But we may need other programs if there's a rationale that targets specific areas. But at the moment, for many of those girls, this makes a difference in their lives. And some people, uh, I imagine, get uh, feel like it's a threat as well. So just because there's being a female program or a program offered targeting females doesn't mean the existing programs that are typically targeted or um, more attractive to males are going to be taken away. Like it's, Exactly. Like we're not, 
just because there's something new doesn't mean something old is going to get taken away. You'll still have like your opportunities and you're fine in the sun. Like it's not one or the other. We can have both. Yeah, exactly. And as you know, you meant, I think you mentioned Instagram, was it, you know, with social media and, you know, as a part of me, you know, the haters are going to hate in that particular way. You're doing something that's um, positive, having a huge impact. There's a need. And we can go back to the conversation at the start. How did this all come about? Why are you doing all this? Hey, we answered a scientific question and no one had ever thought about doors and dads. No one had run a program, so we wanted to answer that question. And now we're being reactive to the interest from the world. We've got daughters and dads in the UK delivered by English football clubs. We've got, I did training a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday night for daughters and dads Austria. We have a, a huge array of sports and countries. Name a sport, name um, a country, and they've probably contacted us. So what is going on whereby others are hearing about it and say, we need this in our community? We want to service those who are marginalised from badminton and hockey in Tonga and Samoa to table tennis in England to breakdancing to it's the list goes on. So there's something ma- magical and special about this program that addresses a need and particularly those who are extremely frustrated and concerned about some of the barriers that our girls are facing and this program really serves to address that. So hopefully... And here's the point that hopefully we get to a point with all these, we've got all these girls, the vision to do as many girls as possible become empowered and deliver this and they become the mothers and we're redundant. There may be no more need for this program. It might just be parents and child, mm. right? And back, you know what that is in that little picture on the, the baseball thing, if people want to Google that, it's when the fence is knocked down and you don't need boxes to have a look at the game. When the fence yeah. is knocked down, kick away the boxes and we're good. All right, and my job is done. So I'm curious, when you started this, did you think that it was going to become as big as it has spreading internationally than the rate of growth? No way. You, could, you, you, couldn't, po- like, you couldn't possibly when um, we actually had to come up with a list of all those organisations and sports and countries that had contacted us the other day and you really do pinch yourself because – Again, it was a research study. I was a researcher in family-based approaches to physical activity. I'd run programs for families where we had 165 families recruited and 165 mothers came, for example. So we were doing all of this. And so this was one of those things. You know, I wonder what would happen. Um, and I, you know, it was the fingers crossed behind the back. Are these dads going to be outraged at this information about gender equity and so we weren't really sure. And that's a really cool thing about research when you're answering those questions. And when we did, again, you couldn't possibly imagine that we'd be in this situation where we have, it's been impactful, but there's been uh, other opportunities. And again, the future is so bright because even I've got no doubt that if there's, if there's listeners from associations, from different community organisations or councils, interested teachers who want to be facilitators, interested associations who want to have a go, participants who want to do the program to contact us because you know it has relevance in new south wales clearly but no question other states of australia and no question daughters and dads basketball in other countries in the world i gotta say i'm really enthusiastic about the potential for the program what's your vision going forward um it's a really i've never been good with the what will i be doing in five year question but but uh, <laughs> but 
I always like to know I'm heading in the right direction. That is one thing I would say. So, you know, at the moment in the context of our Office of Sport Grant, we're hoping to get an extension of funding, but continued partnership with Basketball New South Wales to get it out there. I mean, the vision is about this program to be scaled and be sustainable. So it benefits as many families as possible. You know, let's get New South Wales right and then we can go more broadly. And as I said, like if this vision, if this is a way where we can gauge the disengage, we can get that figure up from 25% to 50% in participation. But importantly, you know, our ultimate legacy is those number of girls we can empower to believe their opportunities in life are not defined by their biological sense. And basketball is an inclusive sport for all. Once you get to know and understand this game, it's as I said, it's easy to fall in love to. There's a what why is basketball a great sport? We actually do that in the in the program with the girls. And when you actually think about, and I don't want to diss on other sports, you know, but when you think about some of the really cool aspects of the game that are unique, if you've had the door open through the basic understanding and skill set, then we can have lifelong engagement in the sport. So the vision would be to find this model of delivery whereby any community, let's just start with Australia, can access the training and run a program in their local school or community for a benefit of the community. The, the countries that do well in any aspect of, say, standard of living, have gender equity at the forefront. It has been demonstrated throughout history that those countries that do really well in all the, the markers that matter have great gender equity, so women are valued and empowered. So this program will contribute to that in a really meaningful way using basketball as the vehicle. And don't worry about dissing the other sports because I don't think the other sports will be listening anyway. <laughs> Let's just say it's great to be able to move with the with the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Good ball movement. And you can go anywhere on the court. Outside, <laughs> outside the perimeter, inside, outside, change sides. That's the yeah, yeah. Ball, ball movement, right? Yeah, exactly. So, look, I've got one last question for you, Phil. How has your research been seen by other universities and learning institutions globally? Because obviously you're at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah, again, another great question. On those list of organisations who are interested in talking to us are other universities who want to either, A, replicate this model of teachers doing the Daughters and Dads program as part of their training. Because if you're a future teacher, they have to demonstrate through their various institute of teachers that they've covered child development, gender equity, evidence-based pedagogy, well-being, et cetera. This program training has that all, but also learning around how um, this program can be implemented. So so there, there is lots of interest. And actually, one of the awards that I alluded to before was from all global institutions, university institutions worldwide, and the Daughters and Dads program won the award for benefiting society. Wow. So just think about that for a second. Of all the things you do at university, some of those research papers that only three people will read maybe one day on a rainy night when they need to get to sleep versus actually doing something where your research is impactful and valued enough so it's embedded through the program so participants you know, are engaged in the material more, but, but governments and organisations are interested in rolling it out on the back of that. That makes our lives kind of worth, you know, the, the research world lives is applied life really important. So... So, yeah, other universities are interested in a couple of other aspects, but I guess being recognised for benefiting society is kind of what we're all on about anyway. That's fantastic, Phil. That's great. Phil, 
thanks so much for joining us. It's great speaking to you again. I mean, we did get a chance to talk about this for a little bit at the World Cup, and it was it was great. And I really want to do a check in in the future just to see how things have developed and and how the programs matured and moved in that time. But thanks so much for joining us. It's been fantastic. No, th- thanks for the invitation and the opportunity. And as I said, I f- really feel now kind of, you know, let's not mention the COVID word, but after those lockdowns and now we've got a clear vision for the future. And I'd encourage anyone who's interested to learn more to contact Rachel Herrick from Basketball New South Wales or even myself from any of those different stakeholder groups if this is of something, Daughters and Dads of Basketball, that could be of interest. But thanks. Great to talk to you again, Jacinta and Paul. Appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.